Hi, John. <sighs> it's like WWDC all over again. Although at least WWDC was over quickly because it's like, well, it's clear I didn't get tickets. Here it's just clear these people do not, don't know how to make websites that can withstand any kind of load. But I have we have many devices working on it. Tina actually did get tickets for tomorrow for the not the Thursday opening night, but the Friday one. But she accidentally bought 3D. And that's not acceptable because of motion sickness? No, it's not acceptable because 3D is terrible. Oh, I agree, but I I, I wasn't sure. I figured you, uh, desperation would make it acceptable, but apparently not. I'm going to watch it. I mean, if it's all I can get, it's all I can get. But, ugh, well, that's just really... I, many times I got, I got to the stage where you're picking your seats to reserve. Many, many times I got to that step. Is the theater near you like an Alamo draft house in some fancy and highfalutin, or is it? Uh... No, none of these are fancy. They're all just whatever. I mean, the one, the fanciest one is the one we actually have tickets for. It's reserved seating and it's the big reclining seats and everything like that. But, but 3D, come on. So I may be distracted during this episode as I occasionally reload the th- five thousand tabs that I have pre-configured to exactly the page where you can buy tickets, all of which are just returning, uh, you know. 503 gateway errors or just spinning forever because that's great well i mean i don't think it's a problem because i'm not at all distracted by the uh, new york football giants that are currently acting like the giants no one cares about football casey this is star wars me football games happen every year people get concussions yeah they have terrible brain injury that destroys their entire family also true and it happens what 16 times every year yep um but to put things in perspective uh, with regard to my priorities, um, Aaron and I were just having a very casual debate, which we didn't even conclude as to whether or not we would go see this movie in the theaters. You should stay away and let other people get the tickets. <laughs> I love I love John that, that you are you're able to resist every Apple product on day one, every new release of anything. Like you're you're able to say, you know what? I'm gonna let everybody else go try those things first and tell me what's wrong so I know whether to actually do it myself. But with this, you're going right in. It's Star Wars. I mean and it's also a slightly smaller investment than a multi thousand dollar Mac. I don't know, man. Your dreams and hopes and wants and desires, they're a pretty big investment that you're putting on this movie. Now, the the main investment that I'm protecting with this whole thing is the investment I have put into avoiding Star Wars related spoilers. That is a serious investment that can be destroyed very easily when the rest of the world has seen the movie and you haven't. All right. So I'm sorry it wasn't completely successful, but no. hopefully it's successful enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I will see it in 2D eventually. I just really don't like 3D. All right, so you want to do some follow-up? Um, Chipworks has some thoughts on the 2A9s. Uh, I don't know if, uh, John, you wanted to talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I was kind of. I put this in there, and I was all excited. This is going to be a really detailed breakdown of what is different about the chips with little microscopic views, and there was a little bit of that, but there's two problems with it. One, a lot of it, the stuff in it is over my head because they're using lingo that they assume everybody knows, and I don't know. Uh, or I have a vague idea of what it means, but I don't understand the implications. Like, you know, one of the chips says weak NMOS. Uh, you know, I can I have vague memories of what that is, but I don't understand what the implications are. Anyway, I suppose I could look it up. And the other one is that there's a lot of information about all the other components that I don't care about. Who do they use for the display controller? What chip do they use for the power regulating thing or the battery thing? Or, you know, like all sorts of other stuff that I'm not interested in. Um, but we'll put a link in the show notes because uh, Chipworks is the only place i know that is taking these things apart and like slicing the chips open and putting them under microscopes and stuff like that so 
no uh, real news there, but uh, for people who understand more about this than I do, maybe they can glean something from it. Excellent. And uh, speaking of the A9s, Consumer Reports weighed in about them. That's a more, yeah, that's a more reasonable consumer-focused test. Consumer Reports has had a spotty history with uh, technology and, and everything, really. Like, uh, Consumer Reports, I always wonder about because the more I know about a topic, the more I think Consumer Reports selections are just don't make any sense. And so that makes me suspect, like, maybe their dishwasher recommendations also don't make any sense. I don't know anything <laughs> about dishwashers, but every time I know something about it, like their car reviews, like the cars they pick, they recommend for you to get, I guess it's really, they just have different criteria than I do. Like the way they pick cars is those are not the things that are important to them are not the same things that are important to me. And that's true in a lot of things. If you look at a uh, car and driver, for example, and they're always emphasizing like uh, performance and handling and stuff like that. And it's like, maybe that's not what's important to you. And you should read consent reports. Anyway, right. you hate performance. Well, no, I don't, but <laughs> uh, I have, anyway, um, so their review, uh, their test of the batteries is more or less what I was looking for. Like they're trying to do real world testing. I, I think their testing was pretty timid. Um, it's similar to the battery testing that I did when I was doing Mavericks. It's very like, I would call it light usage. Maybe they're calling it medium usage. They just loaded a bunch of web pages over and over again, but they did do a bunch of fairly standard things i think probably in a way that is less stressful than someone actually using the phone they also monitored the temperature of both of the phones during this which i thought was a good idea because hey maybe one of them you know maybe one of them is hotter than the other um and they didn't find any appreciable differences so basically said one to two percent differences in their tests which they consider not an appreciable difference and like within the margin of error um so there you go the 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 benchmark testing may have showed a 20 or 30 percent but the consumer reports attempt to simulate real world usage which they detail you should follow the link we'll put in the notes they detail what they did like oh we loaded a web page repeatedly for this amount of time or we ran this thing for this amount of time you can see what they did and you see if you, that is representative of how you use your phone and then you'll know what the difference is but anyway uh, consumer reports loves a good story about apple phones being broken in some way so if they are not uh jumping on this and saying that one of the a9s is much much worse than the other it's a pretty good bet that they're about the same excellent all right and uh somebody wrote in with regard to fusion drives Jopter horse you're not going to say that name it's exciting nope so this is the uh about the fusion drive size we're complaining they dropped the the flash portion of the fusion drive and the new imax down to 24 gigs from 128 gigs but apparently, if you get the two or three gigabyte fusion drive, you do get the old 128 gigabytes of SSD. Two or three o- terabyte. Terabyte, yes. Only the one terabyte uh, fusion drive option has a 24 gig one. So that's some good news in that front, I suppose. All right. And Toby wrote in and had an interesting point. Um, they said, when I hear the merits of the Magic Trackpad discussed, it's usually in comparison to using a mouse, but I find it really comes into its own in combination with a mouse. And we've heard this from a few other people. I heard this from Mike uh, Hurley a year ago now, I think at least, Um, but I'd forgotten about it. And I'm glad Toby said something. I have never run both a Magic Trackpad and a mouse. I love my Magic Mouse, even though it's ergonomically atrocious but i I love the functionality it provides for me um i was lamenting on twitter i don't know yesterday the day before or maybe it was on here actually on this uh, on this podcast somewhere i was lamenting that i think my mousing days may be over uh shortly because i think force touch will eventually catch on to the point that i'm going to be 
kind of grumbly about not having it on the magic mouse. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about maybe I should just get one of these stupid magic trackpads and just embrace the future in the same way that maybe my next car, sh- I should just get a stupid dual clutch gearbox and embrace the future. But neither is happening right now. The future is no gearbox. Oh, God, you're already getting smug. You're turning into one of those smug Tesla owners. You're not even an owner yet. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a long year or so when you first get that car. It's not going to be this year. Oh, thank God. All right. At least I have a few a few more months to uh, to raise my defenses and get get prepared for this awfulness anyway um I mean, we can talk about mac pros some more if you want if that's better oh god please stop although i do i was thinking earlier today actually how ridiculous it is you two fawned over this stupid trash can for like 15 episodes of atp and john never bought one and marco you kicked it to the curb within like six months i suspect that my next computer will probably be a mac pro again but you know, because of the difference now between like, like there was a good discussion about this with Serenity and John on, on this last week's episode of the talk show um, about how like the Mac Pro right now is kind of like the best of almost nothing except for multi-core performance and things that use that second GPU somehow, uh, which is which is basically only OpenCL stuff that can even use it. Um, so there's like there's a small number of things that are better on it, but the but there's a whole lot about it that the iMac beats it at um including for you know for my purposes including the screen quality for one um the fact that there is no good way to get 5k or you know large retina on the Mac Pro and so you know if there's a new Mac Pro in I mean there's probably going to be one in like 4 or 5 months but um I don't I probably won't get that one but I would probably get the next one Wait, so you're saying if there's a Mac Pro that is released in the next year or so that supports Retina, you're not going to Instabuy it? I'm not planning on it. I mean, you know with me, I can never really guarantee that <laughs> as much as you guys. Yeah, th- this is what I sounded like when I was like, oh, no, I'm totally not getting an Apple Watch, isn't it? Or a BMW or an iPhone. Or If they don't have a Retina screen, you're not going to get it. Exactly. You're not going to give up the Retina screen. So they, it doesn't matter if a Mac Pro is introduced. All we should be watching for is... Uh, is an external 5K screen release because they're not going to release a screen unless something can drive it. Exactly, and so I'm, I I would like there like before I really do an update, I would like for there first of all to be a, a good performance increase on the CPU side. Um, I, I think whatever they update to next, I forget what core they're up to in the Xeon line, and I might even you know depending on, if it comes soon, I'll probably skip it because I'm still very happy with my iMac. But I would I would like more parallel cpu power eventually because i i really do max it out like crazy when when doing stuff to my new photos on my new camera um because they're just massive but that's the only time i really destroy the cpus uh so i can wait aren't you happy you asked uh, i've been watching the football game for the last 10 minutes were you talking <laughs> awesome so uh anyway <laughs> while i'm talking and you're, and you're not listening let's do an ad read <laughs> Wait, hold on, no, 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 hold on. We never finished the talk about the uh, trackpad. That's where all this started. That was Genesis. Right. So, trackpads. Yeah, so I have nothing else to add about this, but somebody had some <laughs> other notes in the show notes about it. It wasn't me. I'm assuming it was John, who was also not paying attention because he's trying to buy Star Wars tickets again. That's <laughs> one of those days. No, I'm, you know, I thought you had it handled, but yeah, they, <laughs> I, put this, I put this in the notes because of the, uh, the uh, uh, my question on this is, do any of you work this way? Have you have you worked this way, like mouse and trackpad at the same time? 
You know, I don't generally. However, because I, the only trackpad I have is is on my, you know, physically in the computer, attached to the computer. Uh, but I did notice a couple times, and I think it was getting a definition um, of of a word the other day. Um, I was at work, and I'm on a client's site now, so I only have my onboard monitor. I'm not using my clamshell with two identical uh, externals like I was at our office. So anyway, so I had my keyboard open and, and, you know, obviously the trackpad's right there. And I was trying to get a definition of a word and I force touched in order to get the definition rather than like right clicking and going to define or what, or what have you. And it took me aback because I didn't even really think twice about it. I just reached for the trackpad and did it with my left hand. And I was like, wait a second, that was weird. Um, and it was kind of nice, but I don't know. I, I, I can't fathom getting an external, um, magic trackpad in addition to a magic mouse in no small part because they are damned expensive it is really stunningly expensive what are they 130 dollars, i believe well, why is everyone saying that's super expensive though i've seen a lot of complaints about the magic trackpad being I, we didn't mention it in the last show but i've seen a lot of people saying 130 dollars for the trackpad that seems outrageous now obviously it's more than my like 19 dollar plastic logitech mouse from 1995 that i've been using forever uh, but I wouldn't flinch at spending $100 on a really good mouse. So why is it that this is a big deal at 100 Is it because uh, you'd see it as just a flat thing that doesn't move? And it seems like, how am I paying $130 for a flat thing that doesn't move? I mean, it's... No, no. It's, it's because of what you just said. Because I'm used to paying like $20 for a mouse. My Magic Mouse that I bought way back when was probably, what, $60? I think it was something like $70, the original Magic Mouse. And I thought that was silly expensive. Um, I don't know. I think it, it just seems like a lot of damn money, $130 for a mouse, for a freaking mouse. Well, for a trackpad, but still. So, you know, the, the fact is high-end mice have always cost in the $100 range, right? Like the like the one, the uh, Logitech uh, MX Master, that, that's 100 bucks, isn't it? I don't recall, but I do remember vividly looking at it when Mike had said that it does a lot of the stuff that I do with swipes on the Magic Mouse and thinking to myself, man, I really would love something that doesn't look like a piece of sushi. Um, and I looked at it and I was going to buy it. And then I saw whatever the price was, apparently between 70 and and $100, depending on where you buy it. And and I remember looking at it and thinking, that's way too much damn money for a, for a mouse. No way. But but why why is it so much? Like, I don't understand why people think that's a lot of money. Like, the Razer gaming mice are probably similarly priced. Like, this yeah. begins, br- brings me a good point to pull this thing that's been in the post-show section for God knows how long. Uh, the Xbox Elite controller, which you should all follow the link to right now. You guys see it up on the top uh, for some mm-hmm. reason in the post-show thing. This... Uh, this makes a lot of sense to me. This is an Xbox controller. I believe it's $150. Wow. It more or less looks like the regular Xbox controller, but they put more money into it. It's sturdier. It's more customizable. It has higher quality materials. It has better tolerances. Uh, I'm sure it feels better to use. It's also got some extra weird triggers on the bottom, so you can uh, use different uh, button pressing arrangements. It's like a premium controller. It's uh, For a controller like a mouse and like a keyboard is something that when you're using the thing, your hands are on almost all the time, and for a controller, pretty much all the time. And they try to make them as sturdy as they can make them and keep them as cheap as possible to bundle them in with the game consoles, and then they're usually like maybe 40 bucks to 60 bucks to buy uh, another one, which is kind of expensive, but these things do have Bluetooth, they do have a lot of buttons, sometimes they have lights and on them and microphones and all sorts of other stuff. And 
I'm willing uh, to buy a fancier version of basically every controller that I have. By all means, double the price of the controller and put 25% more value of parts into it. So obviously your margins go up for the expensive controller, but I'm getting 25% better. Like take that money and put it towards, because it's got the same buttons as everything else. This one has the extra things on the bottom, but put it towards making the buttons sturdier or feel better or, or ma- improving the materials or making them not wear out as much or not using uh hardier bushings or surface you know things that rub together you know I, whatever they're going to do to it make it more expensive and i think that is an incredibly smart purchase it's the same reason you should buy a really good expensive chair uh the, the best one you can find keyboard mouse all the stuff uh, if you're going to sit in it all day and touch it all day with your hands that's where you should spend your money so uh, and now the magic trackpad isn't quite the same thing because really like it doesn't do anything it just sits there <laughs> right um so maybe 130 is too much for that because people feel like it is not that much better than the old magic trackpad in that again it's just a little surface it's a little bit bigger has slightly nicer materials it supports force touch whatever but at the bottom line all people see is like a flat slab that lays on the ground that you put your finger on but it doesn't seem that crazy to me. Now, maybe maybe it's overpriced in that there's no lower price model. For, for the, in the case of the Xbox Elite controller or fancy keyboards or fancy chairs, you can get less expensive ones that are still pretty good. Whereas the Apple external desktop trackpad is not $130 for people who want a trackpad but really don't want to spend $130 on one because they're on a budget. That's where I can see the criticism. But this specific product saying this isn't worth $130 because Apple's margins must be crazy doesn't really bother me that much. It's not that it's not worth $130. It's just, I feel like whatever my barrier for a mouse or mouse-like device is, this is on the other side of that barrier. And and what you just said makes perfect sense to me. I'm touching this constantly. This is how I'm, this is how I'm making my living is by using a mouse and a keyboard and sitting on a chair and so on. All of that makes perfect sense. You're absolutely right. But I don't know, just, I look at these prices and as soon as I get much past like $60, $70, I just feel like it's just too damn much. The rent is just too damn high. But how, like, how often do you buy new input devices? Like, I I mean, you know, people can, people can justify spending a hundred dollars for an extra, you know, few gigs of of memory on their iphone uh with with barely even thinking about it often uh but then you know a, a, an input device that you probably buy like once every five years at most <laughs> you know like how how often do people buy these things you know new by themselves you know it's i think it's pretty rare uh and so you know this is a high-end premium device. This is not a mass market device. Most people are not buying desktops to begin with. Those who are buying desktops are generally going to be using whatever comes with it, and by default it comes with the mouse. And those who are going to be, you know, willing to pay extra for, you know, this premium trackpad thing, like that's that's kind of an upscale premium thing in that in that market. Um I don't think it's a high volume product. I don't think Apple probably makes or sells a whole ton of them. I'm honestly surprised they updated it at all. <laughs> As I mentioned, like last show, I'm surprised that the desktop input device has got any attention from Apple, given how relatively unimportant they are in Apple's overall uh, market. But uh, I don't think it's that that ridiculous. I mean, it's a, a premium mechanical keyboard is going to cost you between one and two hundred dollars usually. Uh, I don't think it's that crazy to to have this trackpad from Apple, which is a premium brand now. It's a fashion brand. Uh, I don't think it's that ridiculous to have this coming from them, doing things that no other trackpad can do, um, at least on a Mac, uh, possibly anywhere. Offering that for one hundred and thirty dollars that somebody's going to buy once every five years that that doesn't seem crazy to me at all. Uh, so a couple thoughts about this. First of all. 
I don't know when I bought this magic mouse, but I can assure you it was shortly after it was initially released. And it's the same damn one I've been using for like easily five years. So, so there's that. Um, but secondly, you're, you're both trying to use logic to fight with my emotions and, and, and you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Everything you both said, absolutely right. But all I can tell you is I look at these price tags. And I'm like, Holy God, that's just, it's too much money. Damn it. And, and, and it's just because I'm, it's it's what what I feel, you know. It's the same reason that I look at a piece of software on the app store, and if it's you know north of five bucks, I think, whoa, 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 is this something I really want? And I shouldn't oh, think that please, way. Please no, don't no, get into this. No, I know, and I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying that because I'm proud of this. I'm not saying that because I think it's the right approach. I'm just saying that's how I feel. And then I remind myself, oh my god, this is like six dollars or seven dollars, and it's going to give me plenty of enjoyment for a long time. Like the when tweetbot um whatever came out and it was what five bucks uh, for tweetbot two four and yes five, five yeah bucks. so for for a split second i was like wow that's i mean not that i wouldn't do it but i was like jesus no it's not you idiot you use that app constantly every single day what are you doing even thinking that five dollars is too much money but but that's logic talking to the emotional side of my brain which initially was like wow five dollars for an app really and and I'm wrong. I'm not arguing that I'm right. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm I'm wrong. But it's just it's it's that gut reaction. And when I see $130 or anything north of 80 bucks for a pointing device, I'm just like, wow, that's a lot of money. So uh, on the other side of this, the other reason this is in here, like I said, is the uh, setting aside the price of the trackpad is the the concept of people who either have become accustomed to or were brought up in the age of trackpads and mice and keyboards adopting a computer use a desktop computer usage pattern that involves them all so in the same way that my sort of i i grew up with a mouse my way of using computers was alien to the people who were you know teenagers or adults when i was first getting my mac their their way of using computers was the keyboard you sit in front of the keyboard and that's how you use a computer keyboard keyboard there is nothing else i was always from you know from day one of you know of the mac mouse and keyboard uh, sometimes just the mouse, sometimes just the keyboard, but very often both at once. Command clicking to clean up icons on the desktop, shift clicking, option clicking, you know, the, the, the whole nine yards. Clicking, typing, clicking, typing, switching back and forth between them, doing them both simultaneously, using shortcut keys and graphics programs while you're drawing with the mouse and switching tools with the keyboard. All of those things are second nature to me because that's how I was brought up. Now that we have trackpads, especially on the desktop, I can imagine there being people who get into a groove of, one hand on the mouse, one hand on the keyboard or trackpad where you're mousing around. And, you know, this Toby wrote in to say this is the two, the two things that he uses a trackpad for while also using the mouse is swiping between between spaces and swiping between launchpad pages. Why bother? Why don't you just click on the little things to take you to the next launchpad? It's just it's faster and more natural to do it the other way. And what is your other hand doing anyway? It's sort of it's not like being ambidextrous. It's just like accepting that there are a bunch of places that you can give input to your computer and not saying, well, I can only be using one of those at once, or I can only be using two of those at once because one of them didn't exist when I was growing up. Uh, you know, and, and I feel like if I, I'm, it almost makes me want to take down my magic trackpad because I have one too. Like I said, I got it for OS 10 review so I could do all the gestures to try to find a place for it to see if I could integrate it into my life. Maybe, you know, it can't teach an old dog new tricks. Maybe it's too late for me, but I like the idea of younger or more flexible people using all forms of input simultaneously uh, without being constrained by like, well, because computers, because desktop computers didn't used to have a trackpad. Therefore, there's no place for a trackpad in my computing life. So I'm 
not that I'm going to run out and buy one of these trackpads, but I I am kind of fascinated by that idea, and I may I may try bringing my thing down from the shelf and trying to find a place for it on my keyboard tray here. I love that both of you always get up my butt about how I buy everything that Apple makes, and I'm always buying everything. Meanwhile, I'm the only one here not even tempted a little bit by the trackpad because I just know I wouldn't use it. Well, we'll see what actually happens. There's the talking about it and there's the buying. <laughs> and the buying is you just bought a new iMac and you bought a Mac Pro and you bought, you know, a new iPhone. And so you are ahead on the actual buying. I never bought the last trackpad. That's been around for years. Well, the only reason I bought it was I bought it used on eBay. The only reason I bought it was I had to for OS X reviews because I did the trackpad on my ancient non-unibody <laughs> Mac does not do the gestures. When they, you remember when they introduced the gestures and everything? I couldn't actually do them. I didn't have any. I didn't have review hardware from Apple and I didn't have anything else. So I had to eBay a magic trackpad. I can't believe you bought a trackpad used. Yeah, I can't get over that either. I thought the exact same thing. It was in very good condition. It did not smell like smoke. <laughs> did, but did you like... And I cleaned it after I got it. Yeah, I I don't even want to think about the cleaning procedure you put that poor trackpad through. Man's assumption, right? It, it, yeah, exactly. It's it's a miracle that that thing worked after you surely dismantled it in order to clean the insides that you would never no, have ever touched. The, is it man's assumption or man's conjecture? Now I'm feeling doubtful. Neither one of you knows because you're useless. Our first sponsor this week is Squarespace, <laughs> the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code ATP at checkout. Squarespace is simple and powerful with intuitive, easy-to-use tools to make your website. It comes with tons of beautiful designs to choose from, and sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding required. You can customize these designs to whatever you want your site to look like. You can change you know, things like fonts, colors, even layouts, what's displayed where. You can change a lot with these beautiful templates. They're all responsive, so they work well on every device, every screen size. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, if you want, you can just you know use the graphical editors, do things very easily with regardless of your skill level, or you can actually inject custom html and javascript and css if you want to if you're an advanced user if you're a developer you can actually just inject your own code and do whatever you want to the layout if you want to sell things physical or digital goods all that is built in no additional charge they have a 24 7 support via live chat and email all of this is powered by state-of-the-art technology to ensure stability and security. No matter what kind of load you get, no matter what kind of hacking is going around, they got you covered. Squarespace is trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. All of this starts at just $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a whole year up front. Now, Squarespace, trust me, people, you probably need Squarespace for something in your life. And if you don't need it right now, I bet you know somebody who does. They have free trials, no credit card required. Check it out. See if it works for you. I bet whatever your next project is, or if you know somebody who needs to make a website for something, I bet it works just fine, and then, and then you're done. You don't have to do anything else. You can be done with it in a couple of hours. You can have your entire site done for just 8 bucks a month and move on with your life. Do anything else. Do your business. Do your projects. Do your other hobbies. Uh, make another website. doesn't matter. You can do all that with Squarespace so easily, so quickly. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Do you want to talk more about this new iMac? Well, I put this last thing in here because it was supposed to be for last week. Maybe it's follow-up, but I don't know. It's more of the same topic. Uh, I just, uh, and that's a lot of other people pointed this out, but I thought it was worth uh, <laughs> worth hammering them one more time in the 5400 RPM drive. So Apple put up a website at apple.com slash iMac slash then hyphen and hyphen now. 
that says, hey, let's compare the original iMac, that iconic computer from yesteryear, with the new one just to see how far we've come. And they go like, oh, 62,000 times faster graphics, 14 million more pixels, 1,000 times more RAM, 750 times more storage, 366 times more processing power. Um, but I'm pretty sure the hard drive in the original iMac was also 5,400 RPM. So <laughs> I would like the last number that scrolls by on this little web page to be 1x more speed on, on the spindle. <laughs> uh, and a couple of people pointed me to, I think it was like other world computing articles and saying, oh, it's not, even though the RPM is the same, the storage density is so massively increased that the bandwidth is higher. I agree with that. Like, like I said last show, if you come from a spinning disk, and you get another spinning disk computer, this spinning disk will be faster than your old spinning disk just as hard drive technology gets better, right? You know, the, uh, setting aside the storage density, which is going to give you higher, you know, throughput for how many megabytes a second can you pull off the disk, I'm sure the seek times are uh, potentially better as well. Um, or, you know, lots of things about a modern hard drive are better than the big clunker that was in the original iMac. But it's this is... The reason I put this in there is because, like, this is the meta argument about the 16 gigabytes of memory in the iPhone and how much RAM Apple used to put in the computers. It's not so much the absolute number that kind of galls the technology enthusiast so much. It's like whatever numbers you come up with, whatever numbers you pick, whatever you you feel the line of products with a set of uh, parameters in them. The only thing I'm looking for is over time, make that number go up. And that's kind of what this whole website is about. Look how these numbers have gone up. And on the long term, yeah, it does go up. Look how much better we've done since like 1998. Good job, guys. 1998, 2015, you made great advancements, right? But one, two, three years in a row with the same bottom storage tier on your phones is too much because it feels like where's the progress? Why are you holding steady at the three-year-ago levels? Has really nothing changed since three years? Is everything else exactly the same? Or are we making bigger pictures? Are we making bigger videos? Are the application sizes increasing? Like, all these things that change, do we have? can we not get more storage for the same price? We want to see progress. And it really, this is the most grating thing for me about Apple because I'm so gung-ho and like, oh, progress, progress, is that whatever numbers you pick, please just let me see progress in them. And it doesn't have to be every single month, every single six months. And even maybe I'll give you a pass in every single year if the previous year you were above, the, you know, you you seem to be generous. But if time passes and a stat doesn't change, that's bad. And that's why the 5400 RPM hard drive is like, seriously? I I remember purposely trying to avoid 5400 RPM hard drives on laptops I bought well before the, uni, the unibody error, right? Because it's like, oh, you want to get the fast hard drive, get the 7200 RPM one, right? It feels like going back in time. It's like, our, you know, we should be making meaningful progress. And we are everywhere else. Everywhere else is SSD. Wow, what amazing progress. Great. Spread that across your entire line, except for these thinkers at the bottom, which, by the way, I think uh, no one sent this theory in, but it occurred to me after the show last week that the only reason for the bottom of the line Retina iMac is to get people in the door, you know, kind of like the cars that you advertise in the paper just to get them into the dealership. But you never actually saw anyone in that car. It's like, oh, and Retina starts at 1500 But not really, because you should never buy the 1500 one. You're always going to buy... You always have to get the option for whatever. You know, the option that actually gives you a transmission or whatever option they have that, you know, oh, if you want seats, <laughs> then then you have to pay the, you know, you have to get, get the convenience package for $800. Um, so that could be another potential reason that they're trying to hit a price point to get people into the Retina line. Like, once they start considering, well, this is a non-Retina, but look at this screen. Isn't it nice? And you can get into this one for only 1500 bucks, but no one should go out the door with a $1,500 model. So let me start uh, selling you some options. That's another possibility. I don't know if that's the case. But anyway, uh, I just thought the then and now site was like Apple highlighting the worst feature of its, of its new line of Retina IMAX unintentionally. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> nice. Um, 
I actually, in, in my deep thoughts that I had earlier today, apparently I had a lot of time to think earlier today. I was thinking again about, you know, whenever it is I upgrade my personal machine, um, what should I get? And we talked about this over a couple episodes, a few episodes back. And I was thinking again, you know, maybe the right answer is an iMac. And maybe the right answer is I just get a, a 5K iMac. And the thing that made me stop. <laughs> I could sell you mine. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> At least you're honest. Now, now, now we're getting to real talk. Uh, um, wait till the next Mac Pro comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's the most real of real talk. Anyway, um, it occurred to me that the problem I have with with uh, an iMac is that I oftentimes work from home, as we talked about, and when I do work from home. I want to be able to plug in to an external monitor. I, I am one of those people who works much better with two monitors, or at least more than just the 15-inch monitor I have you know, built into the computer. And I don't really care that there isn't a target display mode or whatever it's called, but in this case, it would it would have made the conversation with myself a little bit different if I knew I could plug my mac into that screen even if i couldn't get retina resolutions even if it was just scaled or something that would make it a much more compelling option because otherwise i'm never really going to be able to plug into an external monitor or i'm going to have to have a second monitor sitting next to this 27 inch behemoth um on my desk which i really don't want and so i don't know what to do uh, and and i know that we talked about this before and I didn't know what to do then. And I still don't know what to do now, but the fact that I was really thinking about, well, how can I make an iMac work was weird for me in the same way that the, what the same way I was thinking about when maybe I should try to make a trackpad work for me. That was another weird thought for me because I've, I've never been interested in desktop Macs or computers of any sort since college. Um, I've never been interested in trackpads. I use them because I have to, not because I want to, uh, track point for life. Um, so it's I've been having a bit of an identity crisis with regard to my computing preferences over the last 24 hours. Have you considered the iPad Pro? No, not really. Why? <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're considering you seem to be open to all options. And, no, you let's know, not I'm, get I'm, crazy. I'm standing in for Vitici saying, you know, <laughs> iPad, it's really big. You can split <laughs> the screen now. Yeah, no, no. Let's not talk crazy talk. Although I did briefly consider an iPad Air 2 as opposed to my beloved Mini whenever, whenever I upgrade that. And that was also an odd thought. I don't know. Just weird, weird times in my noggin these days, gentlemen. Weird times. You guys are so much worse than me. But we, uh, different. It's not worse. It's different. You just <laughs> buy everything and get rid of it instantly, including businesses. At least I'm consistent. <laughs> but but um, but yes, at least you are consistent. I both of us actually. I, I although perhaps me more vocally, hem and haw for three years. And then eventually get something that we should have bought three years prior. I, I know what I'm waiting for on the computer. And I, I'm, like I said, I'm probably going to get one of these iMacs. Uh, well, it'll be my wife's computer, not mine. I'm just waiting to see, like, I'm basically waiting to decide which GPU I should get. Is it worth it to get the big one? Is the big one much hotter than the other one? Is it a waste to get the big one because it, it gets thermal throttle all the time? So you might as well get the cheapest, smallest, coolest one because the gaming performance is going to be crap either way. Like, I just want to see benchmarks and numbers and noise stuff uh, and wait for everyone else to get the lemons off the assembly line. And then I'll buy one. <laughs> I mean, for whatever it's worth, like, you know, the, I mean, I haven't used the new one yet, but I imagine, I mean, I know it's the same thermal design as the old one. I mean, maybe the actual thermal load might be different, but in general, um, gaming on a 5K iMac works fine, but is loud. That's it. Like, it, you, you, the fan is loud when gaming. Yeah. I don't think anything could be louder than my 13 uh, inch MacBook Air that my kids play Minecraft on. <laughs> it sounds, I mean, I don't know how much noise the little tiny 13 inch Air can make. 
uh, but like it is at max speed and max volume and it's not that loud because the air is such a tiny machine but it sounds like it's being hurt the whole time it's amazing this machine hasn't died like they just, they just sit in front of minecraft for hours and just sounds like a tiny little hairdryer behind there going all the time <laughs> no it, it is not that bad at all but it is you know it's, it's it's exactly the same thing with their like asymmetrical blades on the 15 retina it's like it it sounds more pleasant of a tone but it's it's still just as loud basically no anyway like uh, i feel bad for them because uh, you know this is the 27 inch non-retina but still 27 inch monitor attached to that little 13 inch air and they play minecraft full screen at native res and they get like 12 frames a second i just they don't know what they're missing i think but boy i look at it and i'm like you know i don't know how they tolerate it i guess it's what they're used to like well i guess this is what minecraft is like on a computer like it's faster on their ipads <laughs> a little like the ipad 2 runs minecraft pocket edition at a higher frame rate much higher frame rate than this macbook air runs on this 27 inch screen goodness all right so uh what else do we have going on we have something called marco's pet topic hey you skipped a bunch of things i'm still not done with peripherals on the imac oh god it's like follow-up that's not follow-up okay carry on well, I bet it's a topic yeah there's things we didn't we didn't mention last time uh we didn't mention last time that the keyboard and trackpad work if they're plugged in even if you have bluetooth off so in theory you could buy this keyboard and trackpad and connect them to a computer that does not have bluetooth because even though they are bluetooth peripherals and they charge through a lightning port but it connects to usb at the other end uh theoretically you could buy a computer with either broken bluetooth or no bluetooth at all and still plug these things in and use them uh, and since the trackpad and the keyboard don't move you don't have to worry about fraying the ends of the of the lightning cable by wiggling it back and forth and that brings up the other topic that's not in here of uh theories about why the charging port is on the bottom of the mouse which we talked about last time and you know i, I was willing to say aesthetics explains it 100 percent but other people have theories like, well, if you let, if you put the plug like where you would expect the cable to connect, aside from it being ugly, uh, it would encourage people to keep it plugged in all the time and use it like that. And then that would inevitably fray the lightning cable, which is not meant to be yanked around like that, or the connector would start wiggling or whatever. So by putting it on the bottom, you assure that it is impossible to use it when it is plugged in, and then therefore no one will use it when it's plugged in. That makes some sense. I still think aesthetics is the, is, you know, Occam's razor. It is the obvious solution. It is the easiest solution. It explains that entirely. Yeah, I guarantee you that was the reason. It was not because of the cable fraying questions. No, not at all. The reason was it looks better. Or the or the idea that people would accidentally use it. Like, they understand they're buying a wireless mouse. Once they realize it can work with that, someone would probably use a plug then. I don't doubt that because people will do all sorts of things. But in general, I don't think it's like because people would be confused or anything like that. Um, the, on the other side, like I said last week, Doing it for aesthetic reasons makes so much sense, except for the fact that when you charge it, it is almost impossible to make it aesthetically pleasing while charging. And charging <laughs> is a very is charging is a very infrequent occurrence, but it's always going to look like you've harpooned a turtle, and it's in, in the throes of death or already dead when you charge it. It just it just doesn't look good. It's not a good look. There is no way like. You know, Johnny Ives' elegant desk with everything cleared off of it and his minimalist setup with his beautiful Apple peripherals that look like a piece of sushi. And then he's got to charge his mouse and it's just, there's just no way to make that look, look good. Maybe maybe it's like, you know, uh, hanging a lantern on it in a movie script parlance. Like, we have this thing that's a problem. Let's us point. Let's, let's, let's say, yes, this seriously is a problem. There is no way to make this look good when charging. Guess what? Your mouse is dead. It was harpooned by a lightning cable. <laughs> well this is i mean this is kind of lead this leads in very well to my pet topic uh if you want to go right into that well, but yes but before we do you should tell us about something that's awesome 
Oh, well, John still has to tell us about Apple's mouse click sounds concerns. Is, isn't isn't that part of your thing though? <laughs> yeah. So this this was a link to oh, who did this one? I got to look at it. It was uh, Stephen uh, Levy, right? Yeah. He got access to Apple's uh, you know input uh, peripherals lab, basically where they work up the mouse and keyboards and everything. They're talking with the engineers and they're all serious about everything. Like we really sweat the details, and they told him a big story about how the click sound of the new mouse wasn't quite right, and they had to figure out why it didn't sound right and adjust the little feet that touched the bottom. And they were, they you know, they angled the feet differently to to make the the resonance of the click sound better until they got the click just right. And it talks about sweating the details. Um, and a lot of people pointed out, like that's all well and good. I love that you sweat the details on how a nice the mouse click sounds, but. A, you may be missing the forest for the trees and that a lot of people would say that the shape is not particularly ergonomic for the class of people who want to rest their entire hand on the mouse. But I still say that's a categorical, like, how you grip the mouse thing. And B, you're really concentrating on that, but everyone's okay with the, with the speared turtle charging thing. Like, they really sweat the details, except for this detail, because they say, you know what? I don't care what it looks like when it's charging. Have it look as ugly and stupid and awkward as you want. That is detail we are not sweating. It's just fine. Just forget it, right? So the, so the detail they're sweating, obviously, and it makes kind of sense. You click the mouse all the time. You want it to be satisfying and feel good. You charge the mouse very infrequently. It's okay for that to just be a total disaster, I guess. Our second sponsor this week is Automatic. Automatic is a connected car adapter that plugs into your car's diagnostic port and it integrates with over 20 different apps to give you a better driving experience. Go to automatic.com slash ATP to see for yourself and get 20% off. Now, automatic, this is a cool little thing. You plug it into your OBD2 port. You pair it with an automatic app for iPhone or Android. And then this helps you out in several ways. So first of all, simple stuff. If your check engine light comes on, this is in the diagnostic port. So it can read that. It'll tell you exactly what's wrong. So any kind of engine error code that your car throws you can see what it means on automatic and some of them you can even just clear it like if the code is something that's temporary like your gas door is open you can just close it and then go to automatic and have it reset the code problem solved you don't have to go to a mechanic or anything like that Um, also it has access to all the data that your car has about all the systems are working how quickly you're driving where you are going you know with your phone it has gps Um, so the combination of those things can do things like if you have an accident it can automatically call for help um, it can also do simpler things like it can give you a log of your fuel efficiency and how you've been driving, where you've been driving. Um, it can give you your parking location so you never lose your car in a big parking lot. So much stuff like that. And they also now have, uh, fairly recently, they added apps. And so they have a whole SDK now. So if you're a developer, there's a whole API. It's it's a nice, simple REST API. Um, they have this whole rich API that you can build apps against. So they have all sorts of apps already, things like uh, Concur for expense reports, Fresh books for invoices um, pebble watches have integration for parking locations and stuff like that uh, it, they also have integration with uh, ifttt if this then that uh, which gives you the power to build all kinds of useful recipes uh, based on your driving or various events that happen with you and your car like you can trigger things to happen when you're getting close to home such as turning on your nest thermostat all sorts of stuff you can do with the automatic api get automatic today and normally it's a hundred bucks and this is great because it's a flat price uh, there is no monthly fee to use this. You just buy the automatic device up front, and that's it. You you have it. You own it. It just works after that. There is no monthly fee. You just buy the device. Now, it's a normally 100 bucks, and it's free shipping in two business days with a 45-day return policy. And there's a special for our listeners. If you go to automatic.com slash ATP, you get 20% off in addition to that. So it's just 80 bucks. Free shipping, 45-day return policy. Check it out, automatic.com slash ATP. Thanks a lot. 
All right, so tell us about this pet topic of yours. So this is so um it it was kind of inspired uh by this iMac stuff you know what John was saying like the you know being concerned about the detail of how it looks when it's not when it's not plugged in and then you know the 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 ridiculousness of how the mouse looks when it is plugged in and uh, how you can't use it while charging and everything and then um so we got an email from uh, Florian Kuhnlens and he said uh, for me the new Magic Peripherals discussion um left me the impression that Apple's laser focus might be a bit too focused they care about the sound of the mouse but not the weird. Tra- charging port position or at least not enough to change it meanwhile it would make a lot of sense being able to use the mouse wired only like the other two new peripherals similar with the imac and the 5400 rpm hard drive why give it the super screen but not a good drive same with the iphone and 16 gig and so on and so you know for me so that's you know end email (laughs) Um, i think this is this is a bigger discussion that that I've, i've kind of alluded to for a while but i think it's worth diving into here uh, because these all are relevant you know apple we all like to think that that apple always does things that that are best for usability and and the fact is that is not true now and that really has never been true um usability has always kind of been balanced um between appearance and profitability (laughs) you know for for lack of a better word and it's it's kind of this tight balance that Apple has had to walk. If usefulness and usability and like you know good engineering wise things being awesome, um, if if those were the top priorities, regardless of how it would look or how how profitable it would be, Apple stuff would be like it would be more like the PC market. We you know we have that in the market. We see what that is like, and that's not. It's a very low profit business. Um, it's very you know badly differentiated or, or minimally differentiated and it's not that great and so and and also like you know people like us who kind of care about how things look a little bit you know like we like to think that we are objective because we're geeks and we like to think like oh it doesn't matter how it looks i'll just get the one that functions best but wait who thinks that who thinks that none of us do <laughs> okay so good so <laughs> so you know in in many cases people really do care what it looks like so you know looks are important anyway i can look at almost any apple product and I can point out ways in which appearance or, you know, the overall visual appeal, just appearance, has trumped usefulness or real-world use. Like, like you know, John, pointing out that, that the mouse, like, when you, when you charge it, like, that – it looks ridiculous when you have to charge it, like, on its back or on its side, diagonally, like, whatever it is, it looks ridiculous, Right. In reality, Apple worked so hard to make the iPhone look super thin and be super small and look great, but almost every iPhone I see in the wild is in some kind of crappy case because the iPhone is you know either it's a case for durability which is most of the time or for better grip uh because the phones themselves aren't durable enough and don't offer good enough grip um or it's a case that's a battery case um because the phones don't offer good enough battery life for people so it's like there's always you know there's always these um these trade-offs that apple makes for good looks similar thing with the iphone 6 design uh why is the sleep wake button directly across from the volume up button which makes it very hard to hit just one of them uh without hitting the other one accidentally uh the reason most likely is because it looks better it it is visually symmetrical on that level um and so it looks better than offsetting those buttons at all or by having them by having the sleep wake button be like in the middle or still on top or whatever you know it looked better that way that might not be the only reason it's there but it's probably the biggest reason it's there i don't think i don't think looks is the reason for the sleep wake button at all I think I think looks is the reason that the tops are aligned exactly, but I don't think there's any place you could put that that is that is better than 
opposite the volume buttons, unfortunately, because top is too high. And once you slide either the volume buttons or the power button down, they become much more awkward to reach. Well, then, so even if it was like centered between the two rather than aligned with the top one. You think that would help? Yeah, I do, actually. I think it, it, I mean, it still wouldn't be ideal, but I think it would be easier to hit just one of them if they weren't exactly aligned. Uh, maybe, maybe. Anyway, that would still be aesthetically aligned because it would be exactly centered between the two volume buttons. Yeah, but I'm sure somebody said, I'm sure somebody was like, no, it looks better like this, and that's why. Anyway, so. Your other arguments are stronger. Well, I think your arguments got weaker as you went on, as in, <laughs> weaker is defined by whether I agree with you or not. Sure, okay, but, you know, let's, <laughs> let's go, you know, there, and there's, there, even with the new stuff, like the iPad Pro, I, I called out, and many people did, um, one of the big problems with the iPad Pro that people are going to have in practice is that there's nowhere on it to put the pencil. Like, if you have a pencil, there is nowhere on the iPad, even if you buy the big keyboard case, it, it, it like, there's no slot for the pencil. And part of that is because it's super thin. There's nowhere to, it's just, it's just not thick enough to have a slot. Um, the pencil, by the way, which, as CGP Gray pointed out on uh, Cortex, the pencil, which is perfectly round and can roll away <laughs> because that looks better. Did you see the person who, uh, I forget it, who was, who posted a picture of the, you know, the Surface, the stylus for the Surface 4? It's, uh, it's like, it's shaped like a pencil. And the Apple Pencil is shaped like a pen. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so, like, you know, there, there's issues with that, um, you know, where, you know, at least, make, you know, for the keyboard case, at least make a hole. Because, you know, there's going to be a million third-party iPad cases that are going to have pen holes in them because that's what people actually need if they're going to have the, the iPad Pencil. But, you know, it, it'd be great if Apple made them because Apple's cases are generally pretty nice. So, anyway. They should attach it with a chain like at the banks, like one of those little metal <laughs> those little metal chains just so no one walks away with it and you can have the metal thing just clunking around as you try to write. That'd be great. Right. Uh, obviously, you know, the new MacBook One, um, that has a lot of these trade-offs uh, for thinness uh, because it looks nicer. And, you know, it, it, I've, as I've ranted many times before, I think the keyboard and the trackpad both suffer from that. Um, from this trade-off just to make it look thinner but again the macbook like how many people go buy macbooks because they are like they 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 kind of inspire lust like when you when you touch one when you see one it's like my god that's amazing so it does work um the iMac is a curious case of this um because like the iMac and the mac pro you could you know you could look at all these things um the the iMac is really really thin and if they if they would be willing to make it thicker, even just the the thickness it used to be, you'd be able to do a lot of things that would be very nice. You could, for instance, the twenty one inch model could use three and a half inch hard drives again, uh, which would make them faster and cheaper and larger. You know, you could if it was thicker, you could have a kind of more robust cooling solution so that you could have the fans that don't spin as as fast under high load. So like what the like the Mac Pro has that one giant fan which is awesome because you can stress out a Mac Pro like crazy and you will not hear it no matter what it's doing you will not hear it. The iMac is much more designed like a laptop uh, and because it's so super thin it kind of has to be. Um so the iMac is I think it's one main one main fan in the middle or something like that. But anyway, it's like they it has to spin really fast under under very heavy CPU and GPU loads. And it's very loud as a result. And if, they, if they'd be willing to make the enclosure thicker, they could have larger, slower fans in there that could have the same degree of cooling. Um, but they don't because it looks better when it's thin from the side. Which, like, I have, I'm looking at this 5K iMac on my desk. If it was three inches thicker, I would never notice. 
because I would never see it because I'm looking at it head on and it's against a wall. Like it doesn't matter. But when it's on the reception desk at a fancy office, people do see the back. Yeah, but you know, even then, like, do they really care? So, but yeah, like that's why they do it, and it looks nice in their press shots, and they like saying how thin it is, even though it's only that thin on the edge. But oh well. Oh, and also with the iMac, one of my biggest complaints about the iMac is that the stand is too low. If you actually want to have an ergonomically correct setup with an iMac or an Apple Cinema display, you have to like put it on a book or something. You you have to lift it up by about three inches. What is yours on? Uh, mine is on a, uh, I believe it's called the Elevation Stand. I thought you had it on top of one of your weird expensive German amplifiers. I used to because those are also the exact right height. But now I I, I move those to the left and right because they're holding speaker they're holding speakers up for anyway. So um, I have I have an elevation stand from Elevation Lab, which is uh, pretty perfect. Yeah, all all of Apple's monitors monitors and iMacs have always been too low. I mine I have mine on a stand too. My stand that is even high enough. I have like a clear piece of Lexan that's kind of curved in a U shape. Right. And yeah. I wish I wish it could be higher still. I, I kind of bought it thinking well. I'm surely going to replace this 23-inch monitor as soon as they come out with a big 27-inch one or whatever, and I just never bought one, so now it's just been too low for a long time. But yeah, you're right. All, all of their stands are too low, which, I mean, the solution that other uh, monitor makers do, like Dell or NEC or Asus or whatever, they make adjustable height stands, like especially in the fancier models. And adjustable height stands just all look gross and don't feel good to use. And You know what I mean? Like, And Apple wouldn't do that because making an adjustable height making a very good adjustable height stand would be really expensive and making a cruddy one makes them feel bad about their products so they don't so it's a single contiguous piece of bent aluminum with a little hole for the cables to come out of and that's it and even then like you know obviously in all of their photos of it there's no cables plugged into any of their products you know because cables are ugly but again like in the reality of somebody using these these apple products is usually uglier and clunkier than the way they're presented and because it looks gross and i I don't really i can't really blame them for that but i do wish they that their designs would consider it more and i think it seems like over time the reason i bring all this up the reason why i wanted to talk about this tonight is that it does seem like over time the balance between what is like what is the best overall product versus what looks the best versus what's most profitable I feel like the the best overall product side of that triangle has been losing a little too much recently. That in seeking out higher average selling prices, more upsells, more profit, and also I think, I don't know how the internal politics work, but it does seem like the most powerful person in the company is Johnny Ive from the outside. That's how it looks to me. Um, it seems like he can do basically whatever he wants and that anything he says just goes. You know, because Steve was so involved in product and design i'm guessing steve and johnny had a really nice balance going that tim and johnny just can't have because tim is not the same kind of person you know he, he doesn't he, he's not really in that role as much and so i think now johnny has so much power and and it's going less checked or possibly even unchecked and so what we're seeing now is like we're seeing like the the johnny and tim sides get really strong of like you know if you think about tim as like the profitability side right uh you know he that is apple is nailing the profitability johnny is making these beautiful looking objects uh but it seems like that that advocate for keeping the product in check was steve and that that role is now just kind of you know it's falling to other people but none of them real are as maybe i maybe it's power maybe it's just you know high ranking whatever it is none of them are exerting as much influence it seems over the product line the way steve did and could 
versus Johnny and Tim, who are like, if you think about Johnny as wanting the beautiful things and Tim as wanting the profitability, which those are probably oversimplifications, but those are clearly like kind of where their strengths have lied in the past. If you look at that, it does seem like there's this there's this kind of vacuum where Steve used to be in keeping the product stuff in better balance with those two factors. I don't know. I would put Steve in the camp that's just as extreme in terms of wanting to remove everything. And it it seemed to me, because every every time you talked, every time you saw an interview with Steve Jobs, it always seemed like what he really wanted was to get rid of all this crap. Like what he really wanted was essentially was the iPad, right? Can we just get rid of all this crap? I don't want any ports. I don't want any expansion slots. I, don't, I just want it to be like a beautiful single piece obelisk that has no features on it whatsoever, but it is a computing device. Like, I mean, he's the guy who made the the Power Mac G4 Cube for grinding out loud. Like, he wanted to get rid of it all, hide it, get rid of it all. And yet, even in the Cube, did he make the Cube with no FireWire ports, with no connections for a keyboard, with everything wireless? No, because he couldn't. He couldn't do that yet. And so, I definitely feel like if he was still around, not that it matters, but anyway, he that he would be on the side of get rid of everything. And in 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 that vein, like the idea of getting rid of everything. The little triangle that you sketched out between, I forget what it was, like profitability, does it look nice, and is it a good overall product or whatever? Yeah, basically. There is there is a little bit of overlap there, because when I, when I look at the, the products they're making these days, uh, aside from thinking that Steve Jobs would be totally gung-ho and removing every single port and every single feature and just making them have nothing and just removing all choice because it's just you shouldn't need that crap and it's annoying, there is something to be said for whether intentionally or accidentally, and I think it is mostly intentionally, doing stuff like removing the number of possible moving parts removing the uh, reducing the number of joints fewer parts fewer joints fewer moving things fewer ports fewer holes simpler smaller less stuff that does actually make a better product and aggressively pursuing that can get you you know it's not like a smooth gradient of like well it was you know more ports are good but fewer ports is fewer things to break apple seems to always be looking for the next kind of discontinuity or step jump where it's like well if we remove you know it could be argued that the you know the iphone or the ipad like that if we remove everything about computers we give you a little handheld computer that we call a smartphone and we remove everything about it no finder no file system no installing your own apps blah 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 like they're looking for that in hardware design too now are they successful do they make products that actually that people appreciate oh it's great it only has one port see how that's better than two because one is fewer than two and it's less things to break and it's simpler and blah blah i think they blow it a lot but it seems to me what they're going for all the time is to try to to try to make it simpler. And that instinct is mostly a good instinct. It's just like what you're putting in the axis of like, is this a better product? It's it's judging it by the criteria of like kind of, is it useful for me in the same way that the previous Mac was useful for me, only faster and nicer looking or whatever and they're always trying to say but we want to go beyond that we want we want you to not need any ports we want need you know if they could make mice and keyboards that you didn't plug in ever they would like tiny little atomic power plants like they would seal them up and just say like you never plug these in they're wireless forever if they could put wireless power to the imax or it looks like it did in their product shots they would like they do they want to remove everything that makes this thing a computer they wish if you could give like johnny have a magic wand and say you can make a computer that's anything you want Assuming he didn't immediately go into images projected on the back of your retina by nanomachines, he would just make <laughs> a beautiful floating screen that floats in midair and has no edges, right? Uh, and input devices that are invisible, that either are mind-controlled or are controlled by your hands, not touching anything, and there, there would be nothing. Like, they all want to get rid of the computer and just make it, it's you and the screen, and that's all there is. Maybe they'd make something like VR or whatever. And so, 
I see in this thing that you're attributing to aesthetics, as in I want this to look like a beautiful sculpture, or nickel and diming, as in, no, the GPU and the iMac could support two external screens, uh, as people in the chat room are saying, but that would mean more ports, and more ports means supporting those ports and making sure we have the, the buses to go through them. It's, it's more expensive to do that, and i got to drill more holes in the case or whatever. Them just trying to say, we just want to, you know, Johnny Ive and his white world, boil it down to its essence. What is it? Just you and the screen. You shouldn't need more than one screen. Just you and this beautiful screen. It's just wrapping around your whole head and it's all you can see. And you put your hand on the sushi and you <laughs> touch your little keyboard that has no edges and nothing is plugged in and there are no wires. And that's the world, you know, I see them striving for that. And I kind of applaud them striving for that. And I don't attribute it all to just Johnny Ive's disconnect from like, well, I don't want people to actually use these things. I just want them to be sculpture. I feel like he does want them to be useful things. He just has the same sort of allergy that I always sense in Steve Jobs to the to the the greebles in uh, in ILM parlance uh, or special effects industry parts of computers, the little doodads and doohickeys and ports and flanges and switches. And I mean, it's like rotation lock has gone from the stupid iPad. Because like, can we get rid of that switch? If we can get rid of it, because I want there to be nothing. I just want it to be a screen. Like that's why everyone thinks the home button is going away. There's like one of the few remaining moving parts in the thing. So <laughs> I I totally get your point. I just I'm I'm myself internally conflicted about applauding their their uh aspirations uh while at the same time saying you missed the mark with this particular feature or product or whatever we may differ on what those are so i get where you're coming from but i i sympathize well but you know most of what you just said i agree with uh you know it's it's just really an issue of like of the balance and you know whether they have the right balance now or not i totally agree that like generally the 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 track they're on the direction they're going is generally good and and i generally think obviously the world thinks so too it's working for them uh, and you know who am i to to say to say that this massively successful company is doing something wrong but uh but you know the reality is uh that in the real world there are things that are not ideal that with the way that with the way some of this stuff works and i and i do think again i think they're on the right track overall but th- there are little like course corrections that are that are necessary that are not happening now that it, it does seem like it's kind of out of whack with the priorities um and and that might get magnified over time i don't know i mean when I read that Johnny Ive was was moving into the clouds to to be his new position, I was happy. <laughs> Everyone else was like, "Oh no, we're gonna lose Johnny." I was like, "Let him let him ascend to into into the heavens to whatever he wants to do," because I would love to get like new blood under him, get new people up there, get new ideas here. I mean, there's a whole team. That's the whole thing with Johnny Ive, though. Like, he's not coming up with all these designs. The most you can say is that he's giving yes, no, no, yes to 17 designs that are presented to him. And so in that way, he has an influence over the company. But other people are designing these products. And maybe he gives them notes. Maybe he says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like an egg, but with no rounded parts go like and i don't know what he what he says to people to inspire them but he's not there with a pencil drawing every single product i don't know which products he even has a hand in but you're right like in the same way that steve jobs wasn't drawing anything he was just saying sitting back and say i, I i'm thinking like leather like on my learjet and then ios 6 would come and he would go no yes yes no no yes look at this leather sample no no yes like johnny Ive is more involved than steve job and just saying no and yes but like, we're using him as a stand-in, just for the people who get the idea that Stenario Ive is designing. We're using him and his philosophy as a stand-in. So New Blood, I feel like, with him ascending, that maybe that he is delegating more of the uh, what makes the cut and what doesn't. And maybe also delegating the uh, the direction. Like, I, what I always think about is, uh, did you, you guys never read the Johnny Ive book? It's a good no, one. No. The Leander Candy one. It's pretty good. Um, talking about the early uh, iMac designs and how they're like, 
Well, we can go a lot of ways with this phone thing. It's probably going to be some kind of rectangle rounded, and we have a couple different designs. And one of the ones that came up really early on was essentially the iPhone 4 design. You know, you know the one we all know. It's like it looks like an ice cream sandwich with the, the you know, the metal thing and then the, the glass thing on the front and back. That was like one of the very first designs they were thinking of for the iPhone. They just couldn't make it happen for the iPhone 1. It was just like, well, that's great and all. You know, that was that was one of their ideas in the mix. And it was like manufacturability problems and how big it had to be and the timeline that they had. And so they basically had to say, even though we like that design the best, what about this design? Or what about this design? And the iPhone 1 design they came up with was like the fourth compromise down of like, well, we're, none of us really like this design. Like, if you look, think of the original I, iPhone, you can tell that John Av was probably upset about many aspects of it, right? But it's the best they could do with the time and materials and skills they had at the time. But eventually, by the time the iPhone 4 came around, he didn't give up. He's like, I remember that ice cream sandwich one, and it was pretty awesome, and we're going to make that phone. And they did eventually make it. Um, that's that's kind of the, you know, the compromises that are necessary in industrial design. And... I see in a lot of the products they're making now, like the ones that look like transitional fossils, where it's like, well, we're not quite at the point where you can get rid of all these things, but they have a design that almost tries to get rid of them, but leaves this little weird vestige. Uh, and in that way, you can kind of see the previous iteration. Now that the new keyboard is out, look at the old tiny Bluetooth keyboard, and you're like, what is all that crap around the edge? And why is that big barrel thing over there? I don't understand it. Like, it's, it seems unnecessary. And that's what they're trying to do with their advance. Maybe they had this idea, like, the first time they drew, we're going to make a Bluetooth aluminum keyboard. Go, go, go. They, they drew that. And they said, yeah, we can't do that because we need a place to put batteries. And, we, you know, we, we, it needs to be bigger. And we're comes with, How about this? I don't know if that's true. I'm just making this up. Like, But the whole idea that, uh, that they, uh, what I'm fighting against is the idea that anyone inside Apple is particularly pleased with any product they produce, because I think every product they put out, there is potentially a design that they really wanted to make that they either couldn't or didn't make that's still sitting in the back of their mind and gnawing at them. And that's what drives them forward to make the next one. So, uh, maybe what I'm saying is maybe a lot of people inside Apple are just as disappointed in like the lumpy back of the iMac as we are. And just that like they, that, you know, that's design is compromising i have to say what can we ship and what's what's the how what's the best we can make it look even the 20th anniversary mac do you guys remember that the big vertical thing you don't remember it's before your time anyway oh is this the one that hackett's obsessed with yeah it's it's weird looking anyway that one it was at johnny i've designed oh, i'm gonna make this beautiful 20th anniversary mac and use one of these new fancy lcd screens they can have leather and wood and all this stuff like that uh but then they said it had to have like ports or per- i forget what the thing was it had to have some expandability he's like oh, and he had to put this big giant backpack on the thing like he had to take, take his design that he liked and add like two inches like this big lump on the back of it and so you can see if you google for it you can see the 20th anniversary mac both with and without the lump i forget if it was expansion chassis or expansion guards or something like that that was mandated to him from from above the johnny ive of today would not let that be mandated to him from above if someone says oh but by the way after you've already designed the thing it actually has to have three more ports drill some more holes he's gonna go no um and and that i think is better because i think the compromise on the 20th anniversary mac makes that machine worse than if he had just said uh i'm making it the way i want to make it and if it doesn't have whatever the feature that was the backpack added oh well tough luck that's what it's got and then you can just sort of accept it and say this is the computer and it looks the way I want it to look, and it's got the features that I want. And if you don't like it, no one will buy it like the Power Mac G5, G4 Cube, and we'll go back and we'll reconsider. We'll go back to our rooms and think about what we've done and try again and try to make a computer people will buy. I don't know how I feel about this because on the one side, I agree with you guys, and I think that there are, there are a lot of compromises. I would love to have a phone that 
I would never even have to think twice about lasting all day. I would love to have a phone that when I go to a football game and I know I'm going to be using my phone a fair bit and I'm going to be searching for signal for three and a half hours, I don't need to bother putting it in a battery case. Yes, I am aware that the Plus Club exists, but I am a human with human-sized hands, so I want a human-sized phone. Um, I would love to have a phone that's a little thicker with a little more battery, but I'm looking at my phone now, and it is a freaking beautiful device. It really, truly is. And with this Apple leather case on, it is perhaps less beautiful than it could possibly be, but it's still freaking beautiful. And I charge my phone every night and only have to worry about battery life when I know I'm going to be using it hard all day long. Otherwise, I never have to worry about it. Is that really so bad? Could it be better? Sure. But is that really so bad? I was thinking earlier today in my continued deep thoughts that I really do love this new 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro that work got me. It's beautiful. It's thinner, noticeably thinner. I like that it's thinner. I like that it doesn't have an onboard um, optical drive. I kind of wish it had an onboard Ethernet port, but I I can fix that very easily. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> I know. Well, I'm just saying because I mean, I hey, I know, like, I know. Maybe it's low latency for when he plays Quake Three Arena. He doesn't really want to wait for the uh, Wi-Fi <laughs> latency. God, here we go. Um, no, I, I, actually, all kidding aside, I needed to get. Uh, well, I already had one, but I would have needed to get a Thunderbolt G Ethernet adapter for work because the company where I am working does not give access to the restricted areas of their network except by hardline. So with my Mac, I need to get on an Ethernet connection in order to get to the servers that I need in order to develop the things I need to develop. So would I have liked to have had an onboard Ethernet port? Hell yeah. But would I have chosen that over just bringing the dongle and having a device that's perfect or, or or nearly perfect in every other measurable way i'd probably take the dongle so i don't know it, it's a very tough thing and this is what makes engineering so beautiful is that you get to make these tough engineering decisions as to what's more important and i agree with you especially john that i think every engineering decision that apple makes I've, i i would expect that they have a serious amount of regret about every single one but they're doing the best that they possibly can and and i think that's the case with all of their devices and do they have room to do it better sure better for me absolutely but better for everyone i don't know that's what you're always looking for that's what i'm always looking for on the apple computer is the time when it all comes together when there were no major design compromises that had to be made like it wasn't like we wish we could have made it this thin or this size or had this battery life or this performance of this feature, but we didn't have enough room or it was too expensive or the parts weren't ready in time or the material we were going to use didn't work out or whatever. And it's just an all around good computer that's like ahead of its time that lasts for a long time, that is sturdy, that is nice looking, that, that, that the looks don't go out of date. Like you're, it's the same thing with cars for that matter. Of 911 aside, when there's the, the one <laughs> model, when there's the one model that's like, that was the one to get. That's where it all came together briefly. Even if it all came together like, oh, the 65 version of that is, you know, the the height of the pre-fuel injection error. Like, just the beautiful specimen where it all comes together. And those are those computers are rare. Like, the Macworld did those big, like, best Mac everything. And the SE30 kept coming up, A, because I picked it and it's the correct answer. And B, because a lot of other people uh, felt the same way about it and that... Uh, obviously modern Macs are so much better, but for that time, it was like, it was the perfection of that form. It was, 
they had, they had perfected that form factor. The innards of it were the best innards they could possibly be. Everything about it was better than all previous uh, computers of that size. It lasted a long time. You could expand it in ways that you didn't expect. It was sturdy. It was beautiful. Like it was just that was that was a peak. And you, I think you can pick out other models that are like that. The 5K iMac could be like that. Maybe you could quibble over the Thunderbolt compromise and say, well, it's like in between the Thunderbolt 3 error and the USB-C error, so it was a little bit weird, so maybe it doesn't qualify. But I don't know. I'm sure we can pick out ones. Like the two, how about the 2008 Mac Pro? A pretty damn good, like, in kind of in the middle of the run of the, of the cheese graters, you know, post-Intel, you know, after all the G5 stuff or whatever, but before they started to get kind of long in the tooth. And that's a great computer. That was, that was a, a high point. Um, when we're looking at any other type of device, we have to say, uh, like for the iPhone line, what are the high points in the iPhone line? I, I would definitely pick, uh, for industrial design anyway, the four, but maybe I'm wrong about that because I'm not looking at like the broken home buttons and the crappy antenna when you grab the edges of it and stuff, but like industrial design wise, ignoring the other parts of the thing. So maybe that's not the one, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. What would you guys say? I'd say the, I'd say the high points were the three GS and the five S. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like everyone's got their own things, but it depends on what criteria you're, you're choosing from. And and the thing is, for the designers, do they care so much? Like, oh, the stupid engineer screwed up the home button. That's not my fault. The part that I did, my design, like I like that sandwich phone or I really liked, you know, like you said, the three. Well, no one likes the 3GS, I think, inside Apple's industrial design because it just had this big plastic bubble on back. But but anyway. Right. But but you know, for the time, it not, you know, it was, you know, insanely fast, you know, the great, great innards huge upgrade from the past one it was also very practical it, it had you know great grippability on that case it was it was durable and you know long term you could see like it i don't think it really had any major hardware flaws whereas you know the the four had the antenna issue it had the the bad proximity sensor um and then the 4s had those dying home buttons and the five had the flaky finish and you know it's like there was all the and, and the five also i believe had a home button issue or i mean a uh, sleep wake button issue uh, whereas the 5s i think actually really was was pretty rock solid like i don't think anybody really had consistent hardware problems with the 5s and i, and I would say the design there was a high point that's that's like that's that's your priorities i would i would imagine that there's not anyone on apple's industrial design team who would pick the 3gs as their design high point no definitely not because just just isolating just isolating that part of it and so you're like i don't care that much about the design it was nice and it looked nice and it was grippable but the whole, the point is that it was that it felt good it was fat like all the things that you listed are the product attributes that you are you know you give a ranking of like which ones do you prioritize um and that's why maybe the design people would prioritize the materials and physical appearance and be like well i had no control over the stuff they put inside the phone so uh, if they screwed that part up, it's not my fault. And I feel like the pinnacle was whatever their favorite design is. And, and the flaking finish, even you could even see someone would be like, well, flaking finish. That's not really my problem. They should. They probably wouldn't say this examples. Industrial designers know this is their problem, too. But they say it looked perfect when it was new. Just don't touch it. You know, don't even look <laughs> at it. It can't be played. I can't do the accent. But Mike has seen that movie. now. I'm finally listening to Mike at the movies. And I realize all these movies now uh, Mike is seeing them in case he's not like which one. Well, this was Spinal Tap. You didn't oh, see yeah. that one with him, Nope, did you? definitely not. Yeah. Anyway, I, Marco, I've given up. Yeah, you know I haven't seen anything. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, the point is we should all be kings of our own companies with the resources of Apple, and then we can make exactly the products we want until we find out that we can't get what we want either because the materials aren't available or the chips cost too much or Intel's not ready or whatever. Our last sponsor this week is Fracture. Go to FractureMe.com. Fracture is vivid color prints of photos directly on glass. These prints look awesome. 
I have so many of them around my office now. I our, my, our friends are all getting them. Uh, it, they are so nice. So here it is. You get your photos printed on a slab of glass, and it's 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 a nice thin slab of glass. So it's very you know not only would Johnny Ive like it a lot because it's so thin, <laughs> but uh, it also works really well. <laughs> it, it satisfies both of those sides because it is very very lightweight. You don't have to like be all stressed out the way I would be about hanging it on the wall and having to like put in some giant drywall anchor and hope it doesn't like fall out or tear a hole in your wall or whatever else. Um, they are incredibly practical and they look great. Now, fracture prints make great gifts also. Now, going to this holiday season, I highly recommend, first of all, in general, I highly recommend fractures as gifts. Uh, I have done that myself many times. I'm doing more of them this holiday season. However, Fracture prints are all handmade and checked by real people in Gainesville, Florida. In the holiday season, they often get really backed up with orders because there are just so many people who have figured out, thank you everyone, uh, who have figured out to use Fracture for holiday gifts that sometimes they can't, like, if you wait until mid-December, say, to order a holiday order, you might not be able to get it in time because they're going to be so backed up by then. So they want to ask you, please, if you're going to be ordering for the holidays, place your orders now. Because it's already, as we record this, it's it's you know mid to late October already. Uh, it's you know November is coming very soon, and then December comes right after that. In case you've forgotten, I frequently forget, and this it surprises me. But trust me, you want to get these orders in now because Fracture. Many people have figured out how good this is, and they're all right. <laughs> many people have figured this out. Please place your holiday orders now for Fracture Prints. Vivid color prints of your photos directly on glass. They make great gifts. They're great to hang up around your house, around your office. I use mine to have my app icons printed whenever I make a new app. I print out the icon. I have this nice little trophy row up top. So check it out at FractureMe.com and use code ATP15 for 15% off your first order. Once again, FractureMe.com. Use code ATP15 for 15% off your first order. Big thanks to Fracture for supporting us for so long. Thanks a lot. Recommended. All right. What is Facebook battery? All right. So uh, actually, I think Vatici has been one of like the leading investigators on this, right? Oh, you're talking about the the ridiculous battery usage? Yeah. The, like, so, ah, gotcha. So everyone's... I mean... I think people have known for a while that the Facebook app is incredibly battery inefficient, but nobody really had a great idea of why or how that was that way. Um, And a few things changed in iOS 9. Uh, One of the biggest things that changed is that the iOS 9 battery shaming menu (laughs) or or screen and settings, um, it now will, will tell you you know, how many hours things were on screen and how many hours they were in the background. It'll also tell you what they were doing in the background. So it'll say things like audio or network or whatever. So it'll tell you like what it was doing, you know, background refresh, what it was doing in the background. People have been noticing that the Facebook app is somehow being woken up really for a very long times for background usage, even when these people are not using the app. So like they'll have like, you know, like one guy had the app was open for two minutes was in the background for like seven hours or something like that and had used up a ton of his battery. Like, you know, some crazy difference like that. And more importantly, what people are finding, even if they disable background app refresh, it was still finding ways to run in the background and in some cases use even more battery, often by doing really, really sleazy tricks. Like, So do you remember back forever ago, in like, I don't know, 2009, 2010, something like that, forever ago, um, before you could do much in the background of iOS, 
one of the things you could do was if you were one of the very the very first backgrounding modes in iOS four, whenever that came out, one of the very first things you could do was you could play audio. So if you're if you're an audio player, like if you were a podcast app or you know if you're a streaming music service, that was one of the things that you could run indefinitely if you're playing audio. And so one of the one of the very first things that somebody I forget who it was some was it Tapbots that made was it Pacebot mm-hmm. that did this they played silence played silence the whole time yeah. yes so yeah so they 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 submitted an app that that through this clever hack you could run indefinitely if you were playing audio and so they figured out that if you just played silence like if you you you're invoking the audio buffer but you're just sending it all silence in the buffer um your app can run indefinitely and so they were using this to do clipboard history management and clipboard you know sharing between computers and everything um and apple very quickly (laughs) figured out what they were doing and banned them from doing this facebook is now doing that same trick in 2015 and Apple's permitting it. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Oh, is that is that what it's come down to? I didn't realize we figured it out. Yeah, so people have done have done some investigation and Facebook is using background audio to play silence to stay running as long as possible. And among other tricks. And so and I and I can explain at least one thing. So first of all, I've had so many people report bugs to me in Overcast that sound really weird uh, about like not playing in the background after they've launched Facebook or something, and now I'm I'm suspecting this might be related to Facebook's stupid activity. Um, but also, people have wondered, you know, if I if I block you with background refresh, and I like if I if I disable background refresh for your app, and I've you know quote force quit your app by you know removing it from the multitasking switcher, how do you still run in the background? And I can answer this question. Back when Newsstand was unveiled, one of the cool new things Newsstand apps could do was called a content available push notification. Now, normally, if you if you run a web service and you want to you want to like send something to all the iPhone people that are using your app, you could send notifications. But previously to that, notifications had to be visible on screen. You you couldn't just send an app like an empty notification to have it just start running and download new stuff. You couldn't do that before. Um, you could send it an alert. And it would show, like, you know, the box and the text, and the user could then say, you know, okay, enter the app, and then it would launch. But all that was user-controlled, and so you couldn't be doing it behind the user's back. And you had to have the user interacting with it to actually get launched again in the background. With Newsstand, they added this new thing called Content Available Pushes, where for a while it was only Newsstand apps could do this. They could be woken up remotely by their servers, you could you as the service owner could wake up all the instances of your app by sending this special push notification that was silent it did not show anything to the user and the way they initially so first it was just a newsstand and then i think it was ios 7 that made content available push notifications available to all apps you could be waking up your app all the time and and so initially apple would throttle these things and they would be like you know it would only allow allow it to wake up the app once a day or only when it was plugged in or something and over time those restrictions have gotten loosened and in eight you could wake up your app pretty frequently if you really wanted to with content available it was pretty reliable it could you could usually wake your app up but if the user quit you out of the multitasking switcher so if they you know if they force quit your app you wouldn't get those anymore and in iOS 9, they changed that. In iOS 9, even if background refresh is off, because background refresh is a separate thing. Background refresh is is a system of periodically waking up the app to do something, and the user can control that. However, there is no system control for whether to allow an app to receive content-available silent push notifications. 
And I think, I haven't tested this with the Facebook app because I don't have it installed because I'm not insane. Sorry, Facebook people. <laughs> I just, no, I, I don't use Facebook enough to use their app, but I, I recognize that it's very popular. <sighs> Different viewpoints. Anyway, so um, I, I don't know. I would like to, I'm curious to, to know if Facebook people can test this who are experiencing these battery problems because people are saying, I disabled uh, background refresh, but it's still doing all the stuff in the background. Try disabling all notifications because, so anyway, in eight, if you force quit it, those content available silent pushes would not come through in nine they still come through so in nine even if you have quote force quit my app if i send content available from my server to your phone and you've enabled notifications my app will wake up in the background and i can start doing something i can start a background download i can start playing silent audio forever you know like (laughs) like facebook does um so I'm curious if disabling notifications entirely is the fix. You mean disabling them entirely on the entire phone or just for the Facebook app? Just for the app. But like, you know, because like, there, there's like in, in each app, there's the notifications area. And then there's this big magic switch up top, allow notifications. And then there's the, the more granular stuff, show notification center, badge the app icon, what shape should they be? But if you turn that off for Facebook, I wonder if then it won't get these notifications. But anyway, so that's what they're doing. Uh, it, it seems, and they they issued some kind of weird response, you know, just like the Volkswagen thing. Well, it must have been some bug or rogue engineer, you know, some BS. But uh, the reality is, this is a disgusting company, and and they do lots of unethical things. And this is just one thing, you know, they they're doing it because they can't, you know, like they, this is not the kind of thing that you program accidentally. They're doing it because they can. And what's Apple going to do? Reject the Facebook app? Like they're this is kind of you know they they can't really do that much for it. Um, and I think it's unfortunate, but that's just the power dynamic. This is, this is also from the talk show, you know, they, the Facebook app is most likely the most popular third party app on iOS by a long shot. Uh, my guess is it's number one and YouTube is number two, but, uh, you can't exactly tell Facebook, you know, you, (laughs) you can't do this anymore. You know, like how much power do they have? I mean, I kind of wish they would exert that power a little bit more here, but, um, they might not really be able to, but. I don't know. Either way, this is... If you are a Facebook user, you should not be surprised by this. You should be mad, but you should not be surprised. And this is just what Facebook does, and it's, and it's you know, it's disgusting. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add about this. Um, I don't use the regular Facebook app because I it around the time... This is probably a year ago now, but around the time the Facebook Messenger became a thing, they eventually took... Um, the ability to send and receive messages out of the the standard Facebook app, but they would l- still send you a push notification. They still had the entry point to the messages section in the app. So it was like a tab or something like that. But you would get there and they would say, oh no, we've moved this to a new app. You have to go get that other app. Oh, it's so sad. This is stinky. But I refuse to go get that other app because I almost never send or receive Facebook messages. Eventually, I got sick of this and I got sick of the Facebook app. And so I downloaded Facebook Paper, one of the 85 things named Paper that is on in our little world. And that allows you to send and receive messages. And so that's what I use if, I, if I'm using anything with Facebook on my phone. Um, and it's fine. I mean, it's pretty, but otherwise unremarkable. And... Um, that was basically it for me. However, Aaron does use the normal Facebook app. And the other day I noticed when I was looking at battery usage that it looked really high, but I didn't think much of it because I didn't know if perhaps she had been using Facebook all day or something. 
And then it was just a day or two later that all this kerfuffle started about battery usage, and I really wish I had paid close to attention to it. But I have been intending to keep closer track of the the app's usage, and I did turn off like background updates and all the things that you guys described. And I suspect, and I think that's exactly what you said, Marco, that it's still getting used a lot for seemingly no reason. And that's just gross. Like, just because you can doesn't mean you should, kids. And yet, when you're a company as big and powerful as Facebook, when you likely have the most popular third-party app on the platform, you can get away with this. And it's also, it's kind of too bad that, that Apple allows it, that you know they should have reacted in some way, shape, or form publicly in the sense that maybe they should have pulled the app or not not like disabled it on existing devices but maybe you can't download it from the app store or or something and I, maybe i don't know maybe i'm being ridiculous but i feel like it's just it's stinky that the big powerful people get away with things that the little guys can't yeah my question is what benefit does facebook think provide this provides them like just ignore everything else about it this facebook let's assume facebook does this on purpose because uh you know because they want it why why do they want this like you wouldn't you think it would be bad like what does their app need to do all the time like what gather data w- seriously about what about like where the, they're getting location data from the phone i'm, I'm just wondering like because they might be because i don't think there's that much like if you if the facebook app just said i don't know what the interval is but like wake me up every 15 minutes to get updates or five is it the immediacy of being able to, like i'm always running so as soon as something happens to facebook people know right away instead of having to wait for a background refresh interval or something like that because facebook must also know the downside which is that uh people you're going to run people's batteries down more and i don't know if they just assume well they'll find a charger somewhere because they're not going to go without their facebook updates or they'll use their phone less like you would think if you had an app what you'd be trying to get maybe information maybe you're right casey the the thing is like we don't want your engagement or interaction with the app we just want your information i don't know i'm just trying to understand from their perspective how it makes sense to try to have your app be running all the time so to put things in perspective just today i was at the dentist's office and the um the dentist nurse we were talking um waiting for the dentist to come in and she, I don't remember how we got on the subject, but she said to me, oh yeah, the other day I went to that place. I believe she said she was talking about Facebook. It, I might get this, I might be getting this confused with Google, but I went to this place on Facebook where it can, where it'll show you uh, like all the stuff it knows about you and all the places you've been. And it was super creepy because it knew everywhere I had been. And so granted, this is one data point completely anecdotally from a person who just 10 minutes before told me she was completely inept when it comes to computers. But this conversation happened completely naturally. I didn't prompt it. I didn't interrogate her. She said to me, oh, yeah, it's so creepy what they know. That's so weird. So I suspect it is just data gathering. And maybe there's, you know, non-nefarious purposes as well. Like when you start the app, you want it to be totally refreshed, um, blah, blah, blah. But I think mostly it's for data gathering. I mean, it's probably all of these things. You know, it is probably, you know, if if they do any kind of like continuous location or periodic location monitoring, I'm sure it's for that. Uh, I'm sure it's, you know, if they're doing any kind of analytics of you know what kind of phone you have, whatever it is, you know, there are things they can measure. Um, I'm guessing it's probably a little bit about location, and it is almost certainly what John said. It's almost certainly about engagement. It is about you know they. I'm sure. That it that having your app running in the background, being able to get data immediately from your server, being able to to 
start downloading things, like to, to, to start caching things, to start preloading things, um, that things that you're going to be looking at. I'm sure it's for all those reasons, and, and I'm sure the the overall reason is you know data gathering is probably part of it, and the other thing is just engagement because if they can if they can increase the amount of time if, if they're basically always running or running as much as they possibly can then they can get you they can get you notifications faster they can get you data faster they can get you new stuff downloading faster and it's all about reducing the friction so that so that not only can they bother you as often as possible to come back to the app but also that when you are there there's no delay in loading anything you know, because they've measured that both people like that and also it increases our numbers. It makes us X, you know, per year of more engagement and more growth hacking or whatever. It, that's why, you know, there's plenty of reasons why they want to do this. Those are the two big ones. Yeah, that makes me wonder if like there was a setting in the app that said, should we try to run in the background even when every setting you're telling us is like basically <laughs> to let the users choose which behavior they want? Because that would be an interesting choice because, like, you know, if they didn't do this. When you launch the Facebook app, less stuff would be loaded, presumably. I'm assuming that they're taking, like you said, taking advantage of that. Which user experience would people prefer? Would they prefer that when you launch the Facebook app, it's like up to date and most of the stuff is loaded? Would you prefer it that as soon as your friend posts something, you know about it immediately? Like, would people trade the battery hit for that immediacy? Most people will think about, oh, Facebook app is using my battery too much. If they're techy enough to know that, oh, Facebook app is using my battery, I wish it didn't. Do you really wish it didn't? If we took away all of the things that it's doing during that battery time because then you'd be like oh the facebook app is so slow every time i launch it's got to load a bunch of stuff like i'm wondering what trade-off people would make because like i said it you know as the app maker if you're sucking everyone's battery down do you think you're going to lose engagement because they're going to say well it's lunchtime and normally i would keep looking at facebook but my battery is, is too low so i'm not going to no they'll just find a charger i guess or they'll use a battery pack or something like i wonder if it's i wonder if they've determined that this is the trade-off that people would choose anyway so let's just aggressively be in the background and you know and the other part of it like speculating is just the game of chicken with apple because like you both said what are you gonna do pull the facebook app let good luck with that that will hurt your iphone sales numbers more than pretty much any other app uh pulling that you could possibly do i was getting an iphone but it doesn't have facebook so forget it right so that is a a, a negotiation between those two powerhouses to say apple to say please don't run your thing in the background so much facebook to say i dare you to pull our app I don't know how that's working out. Maybe they just don't even know. I mean, because Apple has been, like you said, Marco, changing the rules for the various push notifications and updates and all the other stuff. And they, surely they know the consequences of those with respect to the Facebook app. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that Apple has been in touch with Facebook over this by now, uh, you know, because it's very possible Apple just didn't know about it. I find that a little hard to believe because it's just so widespread, but it's very possible that like this was brought to their attention or at least you know the right people's attention within apple at the same time that we all learn about it so i'm sure that somebody at apple contacted somebody at facebook to talk about this and we'll, you know we'll see how it shakes out but i don't i mean i'm so i'm also i'm not surprised to see this because facebook's entire ios app it's this they have this culture similar to google has this too this culture of extreme engineering arrogance to the point where they don't feel like they need to respect the platform they're running on. They feel like they know better and they're above it. And so 
they the attitude at Facebook that permitted this to happen. I guarantee you this was not a bug. I guarantee you this was somebody saying, screw Apple's limitations. This is how we get around them, and, and we deserve it because we know what's best for us and for our users, period. And Apple's not involved in this discussion. Like it, It's this culture of arrogance that that uh, is very, very common at Facebook and, and Google's engineer, engineer departments for sure. And you see it a lot in you know the way like their app is this massive bloated mess of a million different custom written things to custom implement things from the system and every i mean this massive massive app and they're like rewriting their own xcode because they break xcode the way they use it and all this all this crazy stuff that they do out of this arrogance so like if they think they're above the rules that fits right into all that it's not a surprise at all Uh, and and also i would argue that that this is actually kind of a like a hole like a, almost a security hole but it's, it's like a battery hole on apple's side which is why why do none of these switches that used to work or that seem like they should work like why if you turn off background refresh on an app should content available notifications still come through because like i know in the old world of ios 8 when if you'd force quit an app they wouldn't come through anymore that caused definitely some support emails with overcast because people because that's how i do my updates and the, the notification i show on screen is a local notification um so so it, it would cause problems in that people wouldn't expect that to work that way they wouldn't expect that they force quit the app that it wouldn't get new data anymore ever you know so it made sense to change that behavior from eight to nine but i definitely think that there should either be a separate switch which is probably less good or they should just roll this into the background refresh switch which is if somebody has disabled background refresh for an app it should not also still get content available notifications do you feel like where you've commented on on google and and facebook's engineering arrogance given our conversation earlier do you feel like apple's arrogance lies in industrial design i think it's more than just that but the perhaps their largest bit of arrogance apple has no shortage of their own arrogance believe me i mean that's that's one of the reasons why the people who love all these companies love them because each of them has their own breed of arrogance in different areas uh and they all think they know best for the whole stack top to bottom and that's that's what makes you know apple ship what it ships as its windows software <laughs> which you know mm-hmm. gives a lot of windows people a really terrible impression of apple <laughs> um like you know itunes and quicktime for windows back in the day like that oh boy um you know so you know th- this applies to all of them uh but generally the results of 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 one company being a little too pushy in in some area uh usually it hurts the customers um on the other platforms and this is one of those instances where like Facebook clearly thinks they're above the law with with App Store rules and iOS system restrictions, and as a result, they really are hurting their users. And they're uh, you know it's it's not good. So, but I don't think they care. They're benefiting themselves, and that's all Facebook ever does. And you know that's that's Facebook. Well, that's all any any company ever does. I mean, I don't think that's exclusive to Facebook or Google. I mean, I think Apple in many ways does the same thing. They they generally do, but I I think speaking of you know striking balances, I think Apple strikes a way better balance uh, in that regard uh, with you know quality and respect for their users uh, than than Facebook or Google. And I think I think Facebook is worse than Google. I mean, I'd say I put Google right in the middle there. I'd say Facebook is horrible. Google is in the middle, and Apple's decent most of the time. <laughs> anyway. Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week, Squarespace, Automatic, and Fracture, and we will see you next week. Now the show is over, they didn't even mean to begin, cause it was accidental. Accidental.
Oh, it was accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him, 'cause it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at c a s e y l. Isis, so that's Casey Liss, M A R C O A R M E N T, Marco Armen, S I R A C U S A Syracuse. It's accidental. Yeah, time to talk about Pearl Six for two seconds. We'll have a short after show. <laughs> two seconds? Oh, really? People, yeah, people are asking about Pearl Six because Larry Wall gave a speech that said, "Hey, Pearl Six is coming. It's going to be ready." Um, and people are asking me what I thought about it. I think I've discussed this before, speculating what I would think when Pearl Six is announced. And now that it has been, I'll say the same thing that I said before. Uh, I I like Pearl Six. I think it's a really interesting language, but my Interest in it is proportional to the quality of the implementation. So I don't just want to be able to write Perl 6 in something that executes. I need it to be reasonably fast and stable and better than some other language I'm using in implementing real-world applications. Because as much as I enjoy the language and what it looks like, I'm not going to build anything with it for realsy reals until <laughs> it like all all the benefits of the language is supposed to have like oh look at all these contracts that are you know that uh, are ripe for actual concurrency and look at it, the ability to pin down types that could let us use more efficient types internally to have higher performance well unless i actually have the higher performance unless it actually does the concurrency that is uh, inherent in the semantics of the language i'm much less interested in it so I'm glad that they're deciding to put a pin in 6.0.0 and have it come out 15 years later or whatever, but I'm mostly interested in it when I can use it to build actual real things because like, it's not like I'm being super demanding about it. I'm still, I really love the language. I think other language designers should study it and take the ideas from it or whatever, but I'm never going to learn what it's good for and what it's not good for until I can implement something in it. And I'm never going to implement something in it if the performance and reliability is worse than every other possible language I could choose. Now, I'm not saying that the performance and reliability are going to be terrible. I know it's improved. I know there's multiple backends because the JVM one might be faster because you, you're piggybacking all the, the JVM work that's been done over the past decades or whatever. It's just that I need to see that. I need to see, hey, you know, like Marco, like, hey, I built this thing in Go and it was super fast um, and really reliable. Uh, and by the way, I got to learn Go and it was neat. I, I need to see someone else say, hey, I built this thing in Perl 6 and it was super fast and really reliable. And if I had built it in Perl 5, it would have been worse. And if I had built it in Python, it would have been worse. And if I had built it in Go, it would have been worse in this way or whatever. Like, that's what I'm looking for. That's just me personally. Your mileage may vary. So I encourage everyone to take up Perl6.org, especially the people who have no idea what Perl 6 is. Because people who don't have any idea what it is, I think they just think it's like PHP with different like dollar signs and stuff. And then nothing could be further <laughs> from the truth. Like... Perl 6 is strange in ways. If Swift didn't exist, it would be more weird. Because I think Swift has given everyone a kick in the pants of like, what the hell's going on with this language? Like, what are they trying to do there? It's like C with structs, but like, it's got this weird stuff. Like, it's object-oriented, but also it's got this functional stuff mixed in. Like, what the hell? Like, Swift is like Perl 6 
like a tiny fragment of Pearl six, like Pearl six exploded and a little tiny star came out of it and it bumped in some other things. But Pearl six has got all the crazy and all the crazy in the best sense, like crazy, like a Fox. So I encourage everyone who is interested in, um, anything having to do with languages, check out the Pearl six website, wade through the documentation until your eyes roll back in your head. And you think these people must be on something. They probably are lots of good ideas in language still. So I have two questions. First of all, on an infinite time scale, do you think you will use Pearl Six? Um, yeah, uh, if it's kind of one of those things, like you know, is there something magical about them putting out a six point zero point zero that's going to make the implementation much better, much faster? I don't know about that, but uh, I assume people will keep working on it because it's interesting. I assume at least a small group of people will have enough motivation to keep plugging away. I'm not entirely confident that they will ever get to the point where I end up using it to make a real project because it is conceivable that for my entire life. It could be like a weird research project that is interesting to the people who toy around with it, but it never becomes sort of a thing that large applications are written with. So I, I, I don't know there. I'm not going to say it definitely will because it could on an infinite time fail. It could just peter out and like people stop working on it. and It becomes just a historical curiosity from which people take ideas going forward, which would be fine. Like it's a lot of, you know, Pearl 5 for that matter. Most of its benefit, I think, has not been the part where it played the prime role in making dynamic web applications during the web 1.0 era. But the fact that so many other people used Perl or looked at it and took those ideas forward into their own languages. Yes. Including Swift. Question number two, which do you think is likely to happen first? You adopt Perl six or you replace your Mac pro. <laughs> oh, I'm replacing my Mac pro way before I adopt Perl six for anything. Definitely. <laughs> 